0: The times they are changing. Okay. Everything is changing, shifting, moving, and adapting in space and time. Okay. So we are coming to the end of our season. And I, your humble filmmaker, podcaster, ranter, uh, guide to the abyss and beyond, am being pulled away from my existing, pretty much whatever I just described, meandering uh, existence to make a film and add to the existing film that I'm working on by going to South America and working to tell the story of an ancient indigenous tribe one of the first peoples contacted by the great tyrant Christopher Columbus who have resisted the system and the world of money all this time and they are just now through their prophecies and through their councils and their communions with nature through their of course the use of psychedelics and plant medicines in which they connect to the world have have brought it upon themselves to enter into a relationship with these fucking people and I am miraculously one of the people to to be involved in that to help them in that transition to tell the story so I'm not going to be as good and as present at editing these next couple episodes I'm going to pass that off to our incredible team to Nathan and Ev to wonderful people who are going to, of course, do a great job. And I'm going to let give them full creative license to have as much fun with this as they can, because ultimately, this is a cooperative, collaborative effort. This episode is fucking crazy. It, that, it's, there's, nothing else, there's no other way to describe it. It's a crazy, high-level discussion that will take you places you have maybe never been before, places maybe that scare you, places that you will want to go back to. So I, I love this episode. It happened months ago. And I just kept pushing it back because it was just so rich and interesting and different. And uh, now, now's the time. But there's only now, right? The old world is ending.
1: And we have the opportunity to rethink everything.
0: This is a show about the systemic problems in our world.
1: And the real solutions we have today.
0: To transition from an apocalyptic storm of war, scarcity, and ecological collapse. To create an abundantly advanced collaborative society
1: that sustains all life
0: you may think it's an impossible dream
1: but the alternative is an inevitable nightmare
0: we're your hosts matt holton
1: amanda smith
0: and zachary Marlowe, and together
1: we can move past this economic absurdity
0: and come together to actualize our collective potential to create something completely new we are mindless society Uh, there we go all right never smoked a joint uh live on air before so i have no idea how this is gonna go
2: can't go worse than with the chin in uh pre pre-podcast <laughs> <laughs> i think technologically like we were good that, man we don't
0: talk about that everything's <laughs> perfect everything people don't see when we're recording doesn't happen okay you just pierce so, the veil man you're making anyone else's mellow, Larry. <laughs> uh, you're not Larry.
2: You're calling no, no. us all the, the shit same.
0: I am me as you are. We, is, we are all one, man, right? That's, the, that's what it's all about, man. That's
1: what this is about. I'm
3: glad we didn't have like, the oldest of the right on, on. Yeah. from the, the side here. Here, give me that. Oh,
1: wouldn't that, that be epic? That? <laughs> we, pass it around, man.
0: Road. A moneyless society, man. <laughs> Today is going to be an interesting episode. We have tried to do this three, four times. This is our third time. So, this is the third hit. So, <laughs> we tried to get this started multiple times with lovely Larry and Carlos here, who have been so patient, so sublime. And uh, so we had all these uh, plans and schemes and lists and outlines and crazy, trippy tangents that we wanted to go into. And now, here we are. We're just chilling. We've done this like five times. We we all are good close friends. We know each other's mothers' names and shit. <laughs> and so we I think this would be a good chance to have an episode where we kind of kind of go back to the beginning. To try, try to get into instead of diving into some high-level conversation immediately. We'll get there. But about dissolving boundaries and, you know, uh erasing the separation between you and I and me and you and, you know, uh psychoanalyzing our whole macrocosmic social order to replace it with some brand new paradigm I would just like to actually take a step back and talk a little bit more about these substances these medicines these plants these psychedelics that we talk about here I think we last time we we did an amazing episode I recommend anybody who didn't hear it listen to that too but we just kind of dove in as if we were already initiated and so I kind of would like to have a conversation for all those people out there that don't have relationships with these plants as crazy as that is for you know some of us here to go way way back to, to having no connection to these plants that you know become relationships they don't become necessarily just a habit like it's not just a drug it's a relationship it's a relationship with our planet it's a relationship with with plants and it's a relationship with our own minds i was listening to Sweetleaf, the old black sabbath song for this and it said you introduced me to my mind so uh larry carlos um, can you just talk about, like, to the layman, like, what are these plants good for? Are they just drugs? You guys are just trying to give people free drugs.
3: What's up with that? Drugs you can grow.
2: Larry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand it off to you because you're always a good starter. You're the, you're the great okay, opener. Great. All right. Well,
3: no pressure here. Um, so the particular substances that we speak about are um, plants and mushrooms. So um, these are ones that have been used for a long time. There's also a lot of synthetics out there. They also have their own things you know there's basically two different categories there's like the tryptamine family and the phenethylamine fam- family and phenethylamine are like the cacti that have mescaline in it also phenethylamine family is mdma and things of that nature 2cb 2ci 2 et etc cetera, et etc cetera, et cetera. Um, then there's the tryptamine family um, and that would be the tryptamines like uh, ayahuasca or ibogaine or dmt or mushrooms all those are in the tryptamine families So those are the two kind of um, um, general categories of plants that we speak about. We basically look at four different main compounds, um, but we speak about, you know, thousands of plants involved with that. Uh, Those are mushrooms containing psilocybin, cacti containing mescaline, plants containing ibogaine and plant combinations similar to ayahuasca that contain DMT. Um, A lot of these experiences, depending upon what level you go to, so to speak, or what layer you go to, have different effects. So um, most people might have heard of the idea of microdosing. And a lot of people, I think, get a little, there's a little gray area, a little fuzzy area between what microdosing and actual dosing and macrodosing. By definition, microdosing means subthreshold. So this would be not really having much of any noticeable really experience. And then it's Um, A lot of people are saying it's good for neuro neuro regeneration, um, but you're not getting like a lot of like visual people say a lot of people are talking about it's how it's helpful for them um, as, uh, you know, different sort of mental health um, adjuncts. Um, And a lot of people have been saying that they've been able to, you know, this is what people are saying. I don't know if there's any research on this, but get off their pharmaceuticals through a microdosing regimen. But that's not an experience really in, in the same kind of way. Um, I did my dissertation looking at integration, uh, specifically ayahuasca experiences. And so, within that context, there's a sort of next layer of experience, which is a little bit more uh, where the deep healing can come into play. And sometimes people experience uh, archetypes of transformation or uh, similar thematic transformational experiences that people can have, such as a death and rebirth experience, or such as a um, transpersonal journey, uh, where people will go to uh, you know other places, other dimensions, other visions. Um, you know with dmt you hear a lot about that you know people go to this sort of hyperdimensional realm and they see elves or you know machine elves <laughs> i'm waiting for marlo's um Ter- Terrence mckenna um you know a sound bite there but uh but a lot of people go in, into that and you
0: self-dribbling <laughs> basketballs of living light <laughs> information language jumping into each other's chests and saying you can do it too <laughs>
2: real,
0: real. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that might that might sound weird and crazy to people to talk about self-transforming, uh, self dribbling basketball machine elves giving you information. Yeah. But I think it's it's there's so many layers of the of benefits that these plants can can give to us, and it's it's like as Terrence McKenna, one of my personal heroes, often talked about, it's a direct experience. It gives you that direct experience instead of like so much of what we talk about in this show, in this sphere, in this world, in this life, and that we're dealing with existential crises that regular people. Won't even acknowledge because they can't. Like I'll try to explain things to people, and you can give them the logical information, but because they have no experiential frame of reference for it, and because they they can't tap into, they can't go below the the conditioning and the propaganda and and the and I don't just mean that like those are you know floating ephemeral things. I mean they're things that have calcified into rigid structures of belief, deep neural pathways of ways that people experience reality. That when you take these plants and you you connect with them in the correct way not just smoking a joint and watching you know a fucking pink floyd live at pompeii although fucking highly recommend that uh they they touch you on a deep level and connect you with you in a way it's like many of us we're plugged into so many social media and uh just regular media like news and and tv shows and and ideology and and advertisements in our daily routines we're plugged into all these artificial you know stimulations that keep us disconnected from us. And so these plants and medicines and mechanisms that are a lot of them ancient, ancient, ancient in nature and a lot of them very ritualistically sort of tied can plug us back into us. Sorry, let me cut you off there. I don't (laughs) smoke weed a lot. Uh, I told you, I no right, I'll, I'll help you keep on, on track,
3: Wait, we know it's a good conversation if I can uh, keep you on track, because I'm usually <laughs> stoned all the time too. So anyway, um, uh, so yeah, so, uh, so what's really nice about these plants and mushrooms is that they give you like you're saying, access to consciousness that always exists, but that we just don't know exists and our current paradigm doesn't even really allow for us to have that conversation. Mm-hmm about what is the soul, what is the spirit, what is sacred, what are these other places in the mind or the consciousness or what are spiritual beings or all this type of thing? What are these visions coming out of my you know, my head that have all these colors and shapes and dynamics and, and, and possibilities to move through them in a different kind of way? And so, um, so that can be really transformative for folks because especially in a world where we're kind of in this mechanistic mind frame, where everything is just, uh, what's, if it's not measurable, it doesn't exist. Uh, then all of a sudden you have a scenario where uh, people are seeing things that isn't measurable and they start having this sort of cognitive dissonance about like, wait a second, consciousness is beyond what I've ever known it to be. And uh, and so I think that's really helpful in terms of why it can help with mental health issues and other types of things. But it also, uh, as we had a previous conversation about uh, previously, was about, um, you know, how do we also make sure that we ground here because we still live in the 3D world. We still live in the 3D dimension um, and even though these experiences exist, uh, you know, we still have to be here. And so how do we then translate that information that we're learning from these other places, whether it's about our own personal life, our own personal consciousness, ego, con- um, you know, constructs, uh, you know, uh, mental health things, uh, how we, you know, maybe didn't react in a relationship in a way we we're supposed to or what have you all these kind of big reflections that can come in this uh, in these journey spaces and then bring them here into this reality uh, and be able to do something with them. So uh, what's really nice about this is, you know, this healing we're hearing now about how it can be good for mental health, but we weren't really hearing that, you know, is used for personal and spiritual growth, particularly speaking, you know. And now people are trying to put this sort of more medicalization language around it and uh, figure out ways to help with the pathologies of, of modern culture. Um, but a lot of this experience is really about a deep dive into your own self into your own consciousness, into the, the, the visions and the, the colorful um, landscapes that can come from these experiences and um, you know, there's a lot of artists out there that I think do a pretty good job portraying what that might look like visually, but you're right, unless you've actually been in it and unless you've actually had the experience, it really, it's hard to explain to folks, you know, because it's, it's like, you know, you can't unlearn what it's like to have that experience.
0: I was going to say that uh, the, the term mental health just hit me like a dart. Like, it was like, yeah. that feels wrong. Like, like it's this thing that we have compartmentalized you know like it's dental health you know (laughs) like it's not our whole existence of consciousness and how we interact with other people around us how we experience the world like we have such an unpleasant weird alienating society we have to create this category of mental health to compartmentalize how we exist and it's like how often do we have these conversations where we're really asking deep questions in our mechanistic lives they don't happen around the water cooler we don't have some cultural right Maybe go out, get hammered on alcohol, and talk about your feelings Mm -hmm. and forget them. But we don't have this reconnection to that ancestral realm, or to that ancientness in us, or to just our own depth. I was just thinking while you're talking, like, you know, a profound question of is like, what are dreams? You know, what is consciousness? What does it mean to exist? Like, are the colors that I see the same colors that you see, man? Like, whoa! Like, and these substances allow us to have those conversations.
3: With something deeper yeah. and older than we are. Oh, just real Sorry, quick. I'm go ahead. Right.
1: It's okay. I, I was, just there's one one
3: quote that I think is interesting. Someone said like, um, "Psychedelics gives a chance for armchair philosophers and mystics to actually have an experience." You know, so all these people out there that are you know, study mysticism right. or study philosophy, but don't have that direct experience. They're just reading stuff, and now they're able to like exist in that question, like you're saying, sometimes existential like, questions, you know, and really see it from all the different angles. I think it would improve a lot of things in terms of our understanding of those different areas of uh, you know conversation. So, Amanda has, has some artists.
1: Oh, yeah. I just want to throw out a few artists mentioned since you, you said that there are some people out there trying their best to help us understand what that other realm looks like through their illustrations. And uh, you know two really well known ones for us, at least, uh, would be Alex and Alison Gray. Um, And then I would throw in a lesser known one. Uh, Their tag is conscious color, conscious underscore color. Um, Amazing Mm word. Just want to throw that out there. But you all are talking about connection. And in, in the intro, Marlo was speaking about how It seems we've lost our connection to these psychotropical plants and uh, and, and also you were talking larry about how we're trying to build up momentum to access uh, through like the medicalization of these plants like try to justify their use in society or something per se and uh, as we were talking back and forth in our email thread i'm just hung up on the fact that people seem to dismiss the fact that we already practice plant medicine to some degree in lots of other ways and so to take another step and let medicine, I'm sorry, let, let plants introduce you to the conscious realm, if you will, isn't that far of a stretch when you realize that we're already using medicine, I'm sorry, plants for medicine in our everyday lives, whether it's, uh, you know, for teas and tinctures or if we're smoking cigarettes for stress relief or what have you, uh, good and in, in good and bad ways, obviously, where we're applying plant medicine. And I just don't, see the disconnection uh, except that in we are of course conditioned to think that nature and plants are something very separate from us and something that has to be controlled by us and something that is dangerous uh, in essence and so what you have is a population educated to fear plants instead of realize their benefit and our connection to them and them to us and how in reality, plants connect us to the essence of life. I mean, plant life supports our life. We are, as they say, no more than a um, complicated houseplant.
0: Another uh, interesting separation there that, you know, we, we have plant plants are something separate from us when, you know, they're viewed as like that rabbit food, like plants are just something you eat or they're like decoration, you know, not that they create the oxygen that we need to breathe. Where they give us the nutrients you know that we need to survive so i have just another quick little trippy tangent and i have a, I kind of pass the proverbial peace pipe to carlos but i was just thinking about that psychedelics allow the mystics to connect to the experience of what they're reading about philosophically but i feel like for most people we live in a mystical hypothetical you know met- metaphorically drenched world of stories that we take for granted what people on the news tell us is happening thousands of miles away and all over the world and in our own lives, you know? We are told these stories of our lives either because we're not experiencing them because we're at work or because we just grow up indoctrinated in this consensus sort of hallucination that we call reality. And so what psychedelics can do is to take us out of the dream of our culture and plug us back into what it means to be an ape, what it means to be, you know, this symbiotic plant fucking, you know microbe ape hybrid creature that is natural that is connected to the earth just a trippy little tangent my brain's coming up with here carlos i got a great question for you that i've been actually uh, really looking forward to hearing you go on this rabbit hole can you talk about the history of humankind's relationship to psychedelics in general or to plant medicines to ritual to altering our consciousness
2: Sure. Yeah. And in fact, you know, this is uh, this podcast is, uh, is going to be a little loose and fun and flowy. And, you know, I look forward to hearing you uh, do your Terrence McKenna impersonation. But I'm going I'm to do my Nikolai Tesla impersonation um, and, and not so much in voice, more in theory. So, uh, you know, Nikolai Tesla developed the alternating current um power system and his whole intention of, of uh, well, he didn't develop it, he discovered it. Uh, this this uh, form of power and energy that humans can draw from and, and he wanted to make it ubiquitous in the world and he came at it like, "What? how can we make all of this power accessible to humans? And at the same time that he was doing that, you know, all these gritty fucks like uh, uh, Thomas Edison was trying to harness uh, energy so that he could you know, build an empire on it. And, uh, and so Nikolai Tesla died a very poor person, uh, in terms of finances, but spiritually was, you know, almost like a saint, like God, like status in the world. And now he's one of the more most admired person in history because it wasn't about greed for him. It was about understanding that, you know, what's out there in the world that we as humans can harness. So what the hell does that have to do with plant medicine? so, so these, these little things, as Larry was talking about, uh, are these are just energy packets out in the world, right, in the cosmos. And if we think about the world uh, as Nikolai Tesla, Tesla did, which is everything is energy and frequency, uh, then these are just little uh, packets of energy that are floating around in our, um, in our environment. We are big energy packets. Our brain is a big energy packet. And but for some reason we go and we find these little energy packets. Our ancestors did all the way back to the Celtics and, and the pagans and the Druids and the, um, the, 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 the Greeks back in uh elusian days were using entheogens and the uh the the Mazatec <clears throat> were using the mushrooms thousands of years ago, the Wiharica were using peyote. The Mayans, the Aztecs, uh, the Toltecs were were ingesting 5-MeO-DMT from the toad, uh, and uh, and then in Africa they were uh, finding mushrooms going back 11,000 plus years ago. I'd venture to say probably 50,000 plus years ago, perhaps 200,000 plus years ago. I don't I mean, obviously there's not evidence of that because it decays. But but the basic gist is that we as energy packets in the world have been interacting with these little energy packets in the world. Um, but what's unique about them is that they affect certain areas of our brain. Uh, serotonin 2A receptors, for example, they'll connect with this particular part of our neurons, energy packets. And for some reason, they, they connect into that receiver of our neurons and then they release an energy into the neuron that it reacts in a really unique way, unlike any other substances in the world with this particular part of our brain that gives us access to deeper dimensions of consciousness, as Larry mentioned, that are already there. When you're dreaming, you're just in a different dimension of consciousness. You know, are you ever really not aware or do you just not remember when you're fully asleep and you're in your your REM sleep or your brain seems to be almost dead, but you have some slight movement in your brain Is there activity there that you're aware of and then you just don't remember it uh, and you're just in a deeper dimension? Well, these medicines allow you to go into deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper dimensions of your consciousness and subconsciousness to discover a bit more about who you are as a being, not as a conscious, physical being that has to figure out how not to walk into trees and how to step on solid objects and not step in water and sink to the bottom, all of these things that are programmed in our brain and that narrow our awareness to these little, just uh, physiological uh, activities that keep us from getting killed or injured, uh, which is how we spend most of our life, most of our consciousness, trying not to you know bump into things and step in the right place and don't bump your elbow on this and that. Uh, and then we get this narrowing of awareness for that. These let us get out of that and go into these really deep states of our own existence and awareness And perhaps what some claim into collective shared awarenesses that go beyond the self into uh, shared collective consciousness, and in the realm of machine elves, what are they? Some people conjecture that they're actually other beings, not in wrapped up in your body and in your consciousness, but that they live outside of your consciousness in the collective consciousness and deeper consciousness. Is is all of that true? I don't know, but you know that's pretty cool. It's a nice story. Um, And so, anyways. one energy packets
0: i have a i was speaking to a very illustrious wizard psychedelic researcher this very interesting human being that i know who's a yogi who's a wizard <laughs> long wizard beard wears the hat and everything uh covered in like ancient sanskrit tattoos and i was interviewing him he used to be a cybernetic researcher developing um intelligence artificial intelligence for self-driving trucks for the military and that got him interested in consciousness. That got him interested in psychedelics. And so this genius mind, you know, went down this incredible rabbit hole. I got to find him someday. I'm gonna go to his uh, go to his stupa and meditate. Let me go get him on the show. He wrote he uh, he wrote like a 5,000 page history of the world. But yeah, he told me, and and I asked him, "What are those DMT elves? What are they?" And actually, what he said really vibe with my you know gut armchair theory, which is that they are. Basically, they're not other creatures. We are experiencing like archetypes of language. We are seeing the constituent structure of reality unveiled from, you know, basically if you break down what reality is on a quantum level, and I'm not going to go deep and too deep into this and talk out of my ass, but basically nothing in the world that we see is really solid. It's all energy circulating around. It's all interconnected. None of it is actually a separate object. A computer that I'm looking at right now, isn't a separate solid physical thing my brain is basically interpreting a hallucinatory version of what those particles are swarming around in this sea of undifferentiated reality everything connected to everything else which is a harmonious view of reality that ancient tibetan mystics and psychedelic poets and dreamers and and wizards through through time have postulated and what you know the cutting edge of quantum physics of the most uh, sophisticated measuring instruments that we have to understand reality are coming into an alignment in that view of the world and so what my theory or you know a theory is because i don't really originate any of this information because i'm consciousness experiencing itself having all these epiphanies as if there are things that are happening for the first time when they were there all along but yeah ultimately the, those dmt elves those beings what you're seeing is reality taken basically stripped of all the patterns that your brain you know simplifies it in so that you can understand it so you don't go fucking insane so that you cannot as you said like walk into a solid object because there is no solid object our minds are basically telling us a story about what reality is every second of every day and so what these plants allow us to do is to step out of that that story that we're being told that story we're telling ourselves like ah shit i gotta get up and go to work that's the story It has nothing to do inherently with our survival. The story of money, the story of, oh, I got to go make pieces of paper by trading and selling my body and like making people frappuccinos (laughs) so I can survive. That's all a crazy construct that we believe because we just are, it's hammered into our consciousness day in and day out. This is real. This is real. This is life or death. This is your purpose. This is what you are. And so, yeah, we're, we're, completely just smashing our consciousness down into this really small, crude shape where we're spending hours of our lives talking about our insurance papers and complaining about our coworkers and doing all these really silly things, just taking this story seriously. So yeah, to sort of bring things full circle and toss it back to whoever, our human story has always included interactions with these substances that allow us to disconnect and disassociate from what we've been told and interact with the world in a more
2: primordial sense well uh, but, however on the other hand i do like the um you know i had this journey one time since we're talking about journeys uh, and by the way to close the loop on the tesla thing the part i mention is so it's What's similar to what's happening now with these psychedelics is we also have, you know, big corporate eager, you know, e- greedy corporate interests trying to harness those energy packets and then control them and then give it back to us, just like Thomas Edison did, as opposed to Nikolai Tesla, who was like, hey, man, make this shit free. Right. So that's, that's kind of the analogy there. Just close that thought out. Um, but but the, so I had this journey where uh, and I'm sure there's many people have. So this is one of you know many millions of journeys people have had probably similar but you go into that space and you're like, fuck, you know, all this stuff that I'm experiencing maybe is or isn't real in this three dimensional, four dimensional realm, including time. But, um, so, but what, what is real is that kind of infinite space that beyond four D space. Right. And then, but so then what is this? So you know, m- my own personal, and then I think you have to make a choice. What is all, is it real? or Is it bullshit? Uh, this thing that we're experiencing together. Um, uh, but it's, you know, it's kind of lonely if you assume it's bullshit, because then it's just you um, creating all of this reality yourself. Uh, so then you make a choice. Okay, well then it's real. Like I'm going to choose that Larry's real, and I'm going to choose that Marlo's real, and I'm going to choose that Amanda's real because I like the shared space. And so if you if you choose for the shared space to be real, then then you, then at that point, it, what we do in this shared space does matter, right? All of the housing that we build and all of the sustainability measures that we build and whether or not we take care of our earth versus just like burn it down to the ground matters, right? Cause it's a shared space. Now it's our collective community. So um, I think that's the choice that many a greedy fuck um, opts not to make because they remain narcissistic and make the choice that all of this is about them. And that that homeless dude under the bridge is not a real thing, right? It's just some f- imaginative thing out there that he disassociates from. And therein lies, I think for me, the the human drama. To what extent can we create the shared community in a good way instead of just burning it all down?
0: Really, really quick one, um, because I know Amanda had to say something, but yeah, I just wanted to really hammer this in that taking hallucinogens, which uh, Terence McKenna's word for hallucination, which is the original root word, is to wander in the mind. So taking these substances is not a deviation from what we do every day we are hallucinating every day of our lives. I cannot hammer that in enough, that we are hallucinating this story that we call reality, that is a consensus-reinforced hallucination, a social construction of reality reinforced by the people around us saying, yeah, it seems real to me, you know? (laughs) So taking these hallucinogens is not like you're, you're normal and now you're hallucinating. In many ways, especially when it takes something like psilocybin, it just roots you back into like this, much simpler, like almost childlike perspective, where you're able to see things as they really are and you're unhallucinating by taking these substances. Amanda, sorry, you, you, uh, pipped up and then we, we okay. Uh, off.
1: okay. We, we're not too far from the subject still. First of all, that's a lovely way to put it. Um, and also, uh, and all that Carlos was just saying, in essence, you could say that's how we can connect and stay grounded to our reality, realizing that um, as a collective reality, it is very real. And the decisions that we make have a very real impact and to dissociate from the things that we simply want to choose not to see, you know, is, is probably uh, the worst of impacts that we can make. So in um, saying that, one of my favorite tidbits of historical use of psychedelics to share Goes back to ancient Egyptian times. Now, this is an emergent framework that's being pieced together by anthropologists, that is cultural anthropologists, archaeologists and Egyptologists, Egyptologists, especially. Um, There's been recent research done to determine why there are tombs inside of pyramids with no bodies, just tons of offerings and whatnots, right? And it turns out those were ceremonial tombs, not actual burial places for bodies. That's why you always find the body miles away, excuse me, miles away in the hillside. What those tombs were used for were for initiating pharaohs to take a three-day rest and then rise again as son of the king, the pharaoh, And take their leadership of their community now the thing that ties into psychotropics is they would have a body of people gather around the initiating uh, prince and they would have that prince drink a a psychedelic libation which would put that prince to sleep ideally for anywhere from 48 to 72 hours and during that time um, that person would be in a deep rest on a journey and if that person came Back per se with a vision of the or the other the other realm which which which, which was called eternal life, then that person would be granted um, prerogative to rule over the people because they had made that connection with eternal life. And I just think that's really interesting because a our modern religion is based on that story, and b it really speaks to the fact that without making that connection, but realizing we have to keep a foot in that realm of conscious knowledge and foot in this physical material realm we can't rule effectively over ourselves let alone think that we can rule over others
0: Yeah, basically the ultimate hallucination is what we consider the economy and i have made this joke repeatedly that uh <laughs> what we have is not an economy Because economy is like circulating goods and services between people. It's like energy circulating through society. What we have is a gigantic pyramid scheme where the people at the top are sucking everything up and holding on to it like pharaohs who are being born with their own organs and their slaves and their jet skis. You know, but basically they're entombing all of us in there with them. They're saying we're mm-hmm. gonna take this imaginary wealth that we have off this fucking planet. We're gonna burn it to the ground, as Carlos said, turn it into money, put it on a flash drive, and then just fucking entomb ourselves with all the rest of you in the fucking oh the vapors of this fart fucking ch- uh, clogged earth after they <laughs> destroyed it and sucked the use out of it. Sorry, Larry. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> uh, if I might just really we're quickly on. say what, what the what point, point I was trying, trying to, to make. Try the point I'm trying to make her? essentially is that our consciousness could be quite possibly, although this may be abstract or philosophical point, uh, equated to what we know as eternal life. The collective conscious could very well equal eternal okay. life. And so that's why it's so important to connect with it, but also stay grounded. Yeah, there's... um.
3: I don't know if this is, I I haven't seen the information yet, but uh, (laughs) there is a um, a wisdom figure uh, who's been doing work out of Detroit for a really long time named Clint E. And he did uh, really large doses of mushrooms. um, And he believed that uh, things like the hieroglyphs, for example, were not meant to be seen with our eyes. They're meant to be seen through the visionary eyes of other spaces of just like you're saying. They're
1: encrypted and only the people with the vision can. Dec- yeah,
3: so when you have <laughs> when you take a high enough dosage, according to him, you were able to sort. Of, he was able to access or walk into the hieroglyphs. Um, so he has a lot of really interesting theories. You can find a lot of his stuff online, but uh, he also had an interesting point about uh, the royal bull, if you will. So basically, that they would feed the the royal bull in Egypt. Um, but this is his theory. Um, you know, with, with the grass that either had DMT or 5 Meo of DMT, and then the cow patties where the mushrooms would grow would be kind of like this, like, special, you know, royalty mushroom or whatever, and then they have these really big experiences. So, um, so you know, I think that's something that he also did a very interesting um, sort of uh, analysis of all the different... Um, papers that are out there research papers on um, psychedelics or antigens or secret plants and mushrooms and it says only a handful you know africa is a huge continent and there's only a handful that come from there but yet, all around africa there are people that were exploring with the different plants and mushrooms out there we just don't know about it so um so yeah it's very possible that uh, a lot of you know there's arguments too i think uh, carlos speaks about brian Resco's book Caledity key there's uh, another person uh, I forget his name, but he did a lot of research looking at sort of um, ancient Buddhist um, sort of uh, artwork. And if you look at it now, I can't look at him and not see a spore print behind a lot of their heads. You know, it looks just like mushrooms and mm. blue-throated gods and things like that. You know, the mushroom blue-throats. And so uh, you have the Rig Veda, which is uh, one right. of the most ancient Sanskrit texts in the book, uh, Chapter 9 of the Rig Veda, I believe, uh, it talks about Soma. Which is again the sort of nectar of the gods. This is the connection to ancient deities, et cetera, et cetera. So all throughout history, there's been these recordings of it, and even in art and things like that. But then we just we just say, oh, yeah, that's you know that's something different. They were talking about something weird or different, or you know it was aliens or all the different things instead of saying, no, it's a mushroom.
0: They
1: were tripping. <laughs> that's what they, they were you know, doing.
3: or or or
0: people just assume that they were like primitive and all these primitive superstitions they really believe there's people
3: flying around in the air it's like we just don't understand what they're
0: talking about they weren't
1: civilized back then so what they say and so and
3: so when they but when you look at it through the lens of they having psychedelic or entheogenic or visionary experiences a lot of that stuff comes into play of being like oh wow i can see how this it totally makes sense. I can see how these cosmologies make sense. I can see how, you know, flying saucers on, you know, Egyptian, you know, hieroglyphics make sense, you know, or other other places too. You have, you know, Sumerian texts that have, you know, images of, you know, sort of alien beings and things like that. Like, well, it makes sense if you're looking through these lenses, through these, uh, what do you call uh, the, uh, the the machine elves, if you will, right? Or the, the entities or the beings or whatever. And uh, you see that a lot.
1: My mind goes to uh, ancient alien uh, episodes on History Channel or whatever where they're trying to decipher uh, the meaning behind uh, the angels that are carved into the caves and and whatnot uh, uh, in the west of the United States here, like Navajo Desert or whatever, right? And um, obviously that's another example. You know, they're just just connecting Mm -hmm. with that. Yeah, we spend
3: all this money to try and create something material to find the aliens out there instead of eating something natural to find the aliens (laughs) in here, you know?
1: Uh, wouldn't classic, that be f- Classic meme fun. or
3: joke that the uh, just because
0: just because white people couldn't do it doesn't mean it had That's to be that. aliens. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's hilarious.
2: Maybe there are things out there in the world that are known by by the uh, the, the, the ancient traditions, the bipoc world, the communities of color of the world, the malinated many that um that aren't known and particularly when you get into ancient traditions i love that idea amanda Amanda, that the um the great leaders like this prince you're talking about having to reconcile the afterworld or you know what's beyond this life like so many of our leaders these days in fact in the western world our leaders are generally chosen because of their greed for power their greed for money like a great leader is someone like uh, bezos or Elon Musk who can give a shit about humanity, but who just know how to make a lot of money or a politician who just loves power. And so, you know, we just worship that, that fear-based greed and that uh, whereas, and that really is a function of, you know, fear of death, fear of the unknown, fear of uncertainty, fear of being, you know, fear of the, fear of chaos, all these fears that these people carry uh, where the great leaders, you know, in, in the ancient traditions would have been. People who had conquered fear. The wise ones were the the ones who were looked to. Were the wise ones who acted from a place of expanded awareness and um, you know the collective whole and caring about the collective whole. So maybe uh, maybe it's time that our our leaders have deep mushroom journeys all the way around.
1: A philosophical question, but do you think that? Um, Witnessing the other realm, as I keep referring to it in this discussion, um, the collective conscious realm, uh, is essentially a look into what the other side is. Like, could that be what death looks like? Could that be what we have to look forward to? And could that be why people that have journeyed uh, frequently tend to have um, a more receptive mindset when it comes to death? or the end of this physical existence
3: i think uh well physically
0: a DM, when you die your brain floods your, your consciousness or your body with dmt so it right. is death dmt is what you see when you die it is going back to the ancestors and learning how to trigger that you know through all these methods i mean I, i've talked to people who say they can they can create dmt with their own body I mean, their brain secretes it. Mm-hmm. It, it it does it every night when we go to dream I mean that's that's the absurdity of uh, criminalizing something like that you're criminalizing something that your own brain produces which is just the absurdity of of our imperial control I mean, freak fucking culture
1: <laughs> That's not all too um shocking considering you know um our, our baseline of existence is defined as sinful like we're just terrible like we shouldn't even be here but we are so we have to like oh, constantly I mean, penalize ourselves I, <laughs> I know right <laughs> But the fact um, that you know that is a scientific fact. The DMT releases, and I wonder what relation, if any, of that has to the old saying that your life flashes before your eyes before you die, right? Like, um, and that to me would think would say, well, if you don't make that connection to the, um, the further realm and you know clear up things and find peace with yourself, uh, and expand your awareness and your horizons in that way, then yes. Death may be unpleasant for you, whereas if you take that journey as the ancient Egyptians did before their physical journey ended here on Earth, then uh, it's probably a much more pleasant experience.
0: We just returned. Everybody here took a little DMT trip. We went to to go see the ancestors. I had this machine out. Uh, Are lighter than a feather. And uh, the ancestors have come and gifted us many, many lessons, many lessons to bring back here to the uh, mortals on Earth, on the three in the three-dimensional plane, to bring to dose these sheeple with some high-vibe energy, dude, to give them some fucking some fucking truth from the spirit guides. <laughs>
1: I want to know what Rick has to say about all of it.
2: <laughs> Rick, Rick, Rick is just chilling. He's gonna whisper in my ear. So anything that I say from here on out is coming from this guy. Yeah.
3: Uh, (laughs) go ahead all right so uh just real quick on what amanda was saying a second ago about uh about um being able to sort of see through the other side to what's after death and you know that's what you're seeing in sort of like the uh this you know it's really interesting that there's a medical study out there that's basically asking that question right that's what the end of life anxiety studies are so it's it's hard to fit into that medical box because really what you're asking about is like what happens after death and people like lose their anxiety or decrease their anxiety because they are able to have this experience where they realize that there is a realm after death and that there is, it isn't just nothingness, right? And I think, uh, uh, I don't remember who was that was quoted saying this, but something, something effective like in the, sort of the Western mind world, the idea that spirit can take, continues after death is probably one of the most profound insights we could have because we're, we're sort of sort of conditioned that this is it, you know, okay, we die and it's over and move on. So, um, so yeah, so I think that, uh, that seeing through to that is really, um, part of what people are saying they're, they're, they're losing their anxiety. And then there's also different levels to that too, because, you know, there's, you know, in some experiences, people talk even about like a quote unquote, a soul home or something like that. People go to this place that they've always existed and they've sort of, you know, co-created this world with all of us here, as Carlos was saying earlier, you know, we all exist because, you know, we are here and everyone exists and we're all creating this world, co-creating this world from a different place that we'll go back to. So from the perspective of integration, there's this one guy that said, uh, you know, we have integration wrong or meaning making wrong. We're not supposed to be meaning making what's there to come back here. We're supposed to be learning here to bring that information back to our soul home or our place after or beyond, you know, that type of thing. So kind of changes the dynamic of what it is that we're doing here, which is trying to gather lessons as best as possible so we can, uh, you know, bring it to our soul, so to speak.
0: Yeah, basically our life's purpose is not to find meaning the meaning of life. It is the meaning of life. Our existence, our experiential existence is transmitting information and building to the body of God, which is, you know, the, it's, it's the, the interrelated structure of reality. It's information. It's consciousness itself, and we are creating experiences, you know, data, experience, feedback to that interconnected whole that is an emergent whole that is in- infinitely evolving, that is infinitely improving and growing and, and gaining, you know, even though it's already perfect. But yeah. So uh, to bring things back down to earth a little bit for our listeners who may have not had one, or two the real earth or the fake earth. Um, Oh, the, the, the cube earth. I'm the cube earth theory. That's, that's me. The globalists have hidden our ancient history. We've been severed from what it means to be human. No, <laughs> but no, I think that to bring it back down to earth, I think you're saying a lot of people lose anxiety and they lose depression and psychedelics treat these things, but they don't treat our uh, afflictions and illnesses and mental, Ill- mental illness in the way that, psychedel- or, sorry, that um, pharmaceuticals do, where they're you know, modulating and artificially sort of constraining our chemical balances or imbalances and they're sort of, we're holding it together. They're actually, you know, uh, giving us the tools to reconnect to something that isn't a construct because we're ultimately anxious because we're living in an artificial environment that's completely disconnected from every single aspect of our design by nature. We don't get sunlight. We don't drink enough fucking water. We're not living in a social arrangement that is conducive to our human health or to public health, especially because the health of an individual doesn't really exist outside of the health of the people around it and the environment around it. And we've just smashed that and said that we can throw a pill at it and fix it. And so I think a lot of people may be averse to psychedelics or they may, that may just be what they think happens, that it's just like taking a pill when it's, it's not. It's going deep into yourself and having a, 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 new, a new kind of dialogue with your own body. You know, it's like when I smoke weed or take you know, psychedelics, like I, I took some mushrooms last week and it was extremely healing. I took a pretty high dose. I was kind of disappointed I wasn't flying through stars, but it just gave me an awareness of my body. And I just learned all these sort of postural imbalances and ways that I was standing and sitting and moving wrong. And it just really helped me to heal in myself. It really reconnected me to my you know, natural rhythms. I spent time in nature and really paid attention to the birds and had a very profound kind of frightening awareness that, oh, fuck, uh, things are getting warmer. You know, the seasons are disrupted. The birds are fucking confused. You know, the cycles of nature are disrupted. You know, it's it's November and it's fucking 85 degrees. This is not normal. This is not okay, <laughs> you know? And so being able to take a psychedelic, it brings you back down to earth. It's not all flying into the stars. Although if you take a high enough dose, you know, you got to take Terrence's advice buy a scale. You've got to buy a scale. the problem with psychedelics is people are always taking these peddling doses. You gotta buy a scale, you gotta take five fried grams in silent darkness. Yeah. I mean, if you can go there because that's going down into what you are. You know, it's not like some fucking little alien dude in this flying saucer is gonna come down and, you know, hey, peace, what's up? Like, you know, I've got a message from you from the beyond. Although literally, yes, that you can go there. But for most people, taking psychedelics in the ways that we're talking about is to realign themselves with their own body, their own rhythm, their own mind, because it's not bringing something into your brain. It's not a new compound. It's just activating your own mind. If you look at brain scans of people while they're on acid or mushrooms or something like that, you see the the whole brain is very active. Neuroplasticity is increased. So you're able to physically, not just psychologically, not just through talk therapy, break people out of their patterns and allow people to see themselves, to give them self-awareness, to give them the ability to see, oh, I am the problem. Oh, I am an alcoholic. Oh, these stories that I tell myself are harmful to myself and others, and so on.
1: Plant medicine activates our mind toward liberation. And, you know, um, pharmaceuticals, they dull our mind with complacency. I, I find one of the saddest ironies in all that you were saying there is the fact that people are so inclined to just take whatever medicine their doctor prescribes them because it came through that channel of authority, if you will. Because it's obviously safe, right? Because my doctor's prescribing it to me. There's commercials for it on TV. Everyone else is doing it. It's making billions of dollars. So it must be a th- the thing to do.
0: <laughs> we were jettisoned again uh from the world of our pedestrian three-dimensional conversation into the higher reaches of inner and outer space connected as one
2: you just keep going higher and higher in outer space so so are we back it's rick messing
1: with us You're just, he's moving us from one realm to another space.
0: the outer is the inner as above, so below. Okay, okay, we're getting back. We're, we 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 keep getting jettisoned by the Wi-Fi on this connection or something. But it- hey, can I can
2: I riff off Amanda's statement since uh, since we're riffing? Yeah, please do. Cool. Yeah, I was you know as you were talking about uh, pharmaceuticals, I was having this visual. So what Rick wanted me to remind you guys is that you know we're all the ecosystem. But I think what Western Westernism does to people is it really isolates the, the self into the ego or, you know, all of our experiences into the ego. It's such an extreme level that we feel so disconnected from everything. That's not natural. Like I want your, I want your listeners, your viewers, whatever, understand it is not natural for humans to feel so isolated and separate. This is a totally a fucking Western thing, right? The, the whole scientific reductionism doesn't just stop it. You're trying to understand what's in an atom it also is making humans disconnected from their community, disconnected from their family, disconnected from their elders. And it's kind of like if you have this beautiful ecosystem, a redwood ecosystem with a meadow and some creeks flowing through it and this beautiful wildlife. And then up on the hill you got this this, you know, toxic chemical company that's, you know, spewing pollutants into the the creeks and it's coming down and you see these redwood trees next to the creek and they're dying. And you're like, oh, well, let's go rehabilitate the health of that redwood. So everybody focuses on the redwood and they're like, well, the pharmaceutical company would be like, let's just trim the dying branches and then we'll be healthy again, right? When in reality, everybody just stops and they're like, okay, what's the fucking chemical company spewing shit into our creeks because the creeks connected to the soil, connected to the myceliums, the root system, the, the trees, uh, and, and, and then let's go find the problem, but we are so insistent on staying detached because the moment we reconnect with everything, we have to stop disassociating from the suffering and the struggle of the world and realize, shit, you know, I'm connected to these people that are suffering. It's my actions, my 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 greed, my fears are creating this thing outside of me that is causing so much suffering. It's not that guy. It's the decisions I'm making. Right, because it's so easy to be like, it's that guy over there, that greedy fucker. But it's each of us making decisions because we're all part of this ecosystem and the only thing we can control is ourselves. So everybody making good decisions and not being, not bullshitting themselves about where the problems lie is probably step one.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really powerful point. I I just wanted to sort of uh, double down on it a little bit. This individualized sense of I'm fine. I'm the good person. That person is the problem. What we are really angry at and what we are in this movement are trying to help people understand is, is to think about things in a systematic way, to think about things in an interconnected way. That it's not that this individual person just arose against the tide of society to make these bad choices, to create this horrible colonial, you know, rape, murder, pillage, you know. Uh, turn it into a fucking product, make a TV show out of it, and then make a reboot, then, you know, sell it to people and then, you know, create it all like this. That whole thing isn't just something somebody chose to do. It's something that we were inoculated into, immersed in, in this hallucinogenic sort of spectrum of culture and society, you know, that we, were, we grew up thinking that that's what must be done. And so what we're angry at ultimately and somebody else is not their decision. It's not that person. It's we're, we should be angry, We should be, you know, seek to hold ourselves accountable to the capacity that every single one of us has to exact that behavior and to redesign our social structure, our social rule set. Not, I mean, starting with the physical built environment, the, you know, our accessibility to transportation and housing, our material needs to basically be able to bring people up out of this raw and base survival mode that keeps them from being able to physically keeps them from being able to access these higher states of consciousness because they're so concerned with how am i going to get food on the table or they're in that fear matrix of of greed which is a, a really a serious addictive hallucination you know money as i'll say again and again and again it's just in that same fucking dopamine receptor as cocaine meth heroin so the the darker drugs the drugs that don't that i would argue don't really have a medical psychological, you know, holistic usage that we are underneath the, the addiction of this monetary system that we, if we arrange our society, you know, around the use of this drug that is addictive, that does these things to us, that produces these behaviors in us. We know sociologically, neurologically, we understand that if we arrange society in this sort of way, we're going to produce these behaviors and outcomes. They're going to be fucking predictable. And so we need to take ourselves out of the blame and, step into the uh, the accountability that to say, okay, that's us we're looking at. And we need to find it within ourselves to purify, to, you know, therapize, to de- decolonialize and untangle the trauma in us that is a representation of that, that, that keeps it going, that keeps that cycle going, that has that capacity unchecked in us that could come out if we were put under that circumstance.
1: I just echo what you're saying. You... You touched on the thing I wanted to emphasize the most and that's accountability and what Carlos was saying and subsequently what you said. Uh, what screams at me is the fact that what we're dealing with now is toxic individualism and that is essentially providing everyone with a bubble to stay in so that they can easier, much easier what is wrong with me today?
0: Nothing. So they
1: can more easily disassociate. <laughs> oh, thanks. Uh, disassociate uh, from the grim reality that we've created collectively. And until we, we, accept our collective nature as a species and get in touch with that collective realm we're just going to keep driving ourselves you know to the edge of destruction but that's kind of like duh i guess we all know that here (laughs) guys what is decrim what is your mission (laughs) what you know like we said in the very beginning like marlo asked you to begin with y'all just trying to give out free drugs like what's the deal Because we're going to wrap here soon. And I think it's important for people to know for us to bring it back down to earth. So
3: speaking about And lives, let people
1: know you're doing good that's
3: stuff. That's one thing I think has been most exciting about the decriminalized nature movement. Notice it's called the movement, right? It's, it's something that's going across the U.S. Mm-hmm. and globally. It's people standing up for their rights with plant medicines. Uh, we are actually working on decriminalizing uh, entheogenic plants and fungi across the U.S. through a city council process, um, working our way up to county, working our way up to state at some point in time. Uh, eventually, the idea would be to deschedule it fully from the Controlled Substances Act, as these are plants and they shouldn't be criminal in the first place. Um, one thing that I think has been really exciting about this, like I said, is, is just the connection and seeing how many different communities are out there that previously had felt isolated or alienated. You know, that didn't know that there was ten other people in their town that existed that also wanted to do this. And so we're seeing all these people connect with each other, which I think is really a beautiful thing. And um, yeah, the, the movement started uh, in 2019. Uh, in Oakland. And uh, since then, 15 cities have passed across the uh, United States, uh, most recently San Francisco. And um, and then um, we have about 50 or 60 different cities that are active right now, working with educating their community about the benefits of antigenic plants and fungi, uh, also to propose this to their city council. And I'm sure Carlos has a lot. Of
1: that is amazing progress in a very short amount Yeah, of time. during
3: a pandemic, no less.
1: Mm. Can you guys
0: talk a little bit about what is... Uh, What's what's going on on the ground? I mean how I, there were just a bunch of elections. and I think your, you know, decriminalization was on the ballot in many places. What are the results and um, how, how's the movement going? How
1: mm, great question.
3: we didn't have any, uh, we, didn't, we ourselves didn't have anything on the ballots. Um, there was um, two different basically state ballot initiatives are a lot of obviously people that are being voted in or not voted in those types of things are going to affect how we move forward. Uh, but in terms of the two different things that happened, there's one in Colorado and one in Oregon. Uh, the Colorado one. Um, uh, local community there and ourselves included had some challenges the way some of it was written. Was written by New Approach Pack and uh, folks like David Bronner and, and things like that, which have a lot of uh, vague language um, and even uh, you know leads towards potential limitations of our relationship with nature or creating a closed task force, which is going to whittle away at our rights in the future. So uh, that ended up winning just barely in by about thirty-seven thousand votes in Colorado uh what's also interesting though is uh uh, we're now say okay well now we have to look at colorado to see uh what this looks like in in the future and how this rolls out and we're looking at oregon and how it's rolling out and it's been a bit of a shit show in this process so far um but they also had an election and i think there was probably when i gave a a little look see there's probably 57 to 60 counties that uh, opted out, cities or counties that opted out of M109, which is the, the legalization of psilocybin therapy, the therapy there. Um, and probably about three or four that opted in. So there's still a lot of problems that are happening with the sort of rollout that they had there in Oregon and we'll see if that is the same case in, uh, in Colorado, but hopefully uh, the folks that are there locally in Colorado will keep putting, uh, putting uh, the, the pressure on them to make sure that uh, this is done in a good way and there aren't limitations on people's
2: relationship with nature. So just to uh, add context to that. Um, so in the early 1900s, midwifery uh, became under siege or was put under siege by medical industry doctors who wanted to, you know, strap up women and um, force them into a position that was completely unnatural for giving birth, and uh, also force people to go into the Western medical system, and so midwifery became um, attacked by that system. But it's the most natural of all, um, you know, birthing models because it's what's been done by societies all over the world for, you know, since the beginning of birthing really, and. Um, Uh, and we also know that you know Chinese plant medicine was uh, has been under attack for a long time in in the west and it's all about commodification and control Um, and so imagine for your listeners that sunlight is criminalized imagine that uh, air becomes criminalized and controlled and regulated imagine that water becomes criminalized and You can't even uh, grab water from a creek if you're walking in the wild and you got your bottle and you got your iodine pills and it's illegal to grab water out of that creek and drink it. Um, Imagine all that because that's what they did to plant medicines. Um, And they've been doing it. They, Those who seek to control others um, have been doing that for about 3,000 years at least, but uh, really in a big way when um, uh, colonization landed on the shores of the Americas, and then really attack the the medicine people in in the americas and then in the big way in a big way in the 1970s with nixon who really declared war and like put billions of dollars towards incarceration of people who who would interact with nature so this is really what we're talking about is removing criminal penalties against something that is a sovereign right for humans so but what we're seeing in colorado with corporate interests trying to backdoor controls. This is Prop 122 in Colorado that just passed, which we didn't support, and we didn't support M109 in Oregon because they're just really back, backdoor ways of corporate interests, profiteers, looking to benefit from <clears throat> Nixon's war, which was a big impact on quote-unquote hippies and, you know, and people of color was the biggest impact on on the war on drugs that was the intended those were the intended targets of the war on drugs and now we got all these corporate profiteers seeking to in the same way that the medical industry sought to diminish the power of women in midwifery and in birthing to diminish the rights and forever commodify the rights of humans in their relationship with nature so uh we just have to not be such suckers for believing everything they tell us and thinking that what they offer us is good enough because at least it's something. Because if we acquiesce to that narrative that, well, at least they're gonna let us have it in a pill form. Thank you, Mr. Corporate Interest. Then we will always be slaves to their controls. It's about setting our sights on what is a fundamental human right and not wavering from it and standing up for it. And even if you take it to your deathbed and you don't see the change, you gotta stand for something in this life or you stand
1: for nothing. Amen to that.
0: Yeah, I just want to say that it's it's beyond criminalizing like even something so much as a right as like drinking water or eating nutritious food. It's like separating us from a relationship, a very rich, complex, you know, spiritually, I would say necessary and vital necessary. relationship to maintaining our connection with ourselves, with each other, and with nature. I mean, these are ancient, ancient relationships that humanity has had that I will argue firmly drove the very wheel of our mimetic intellectual consciousness development that our ability to craft and understand what language is to be able to see our shadow on the on the cave wall and understand that's me you know this to understand a very just so it's a profoundly different shift in what it is to see the world and understand it and interpret it to take us in many ways from the way that animals interact with each other you know where they don't have this necessarily seem to have the sense of a separate individualized ego they don't have this ability to engage with abstract concepts you know like say a chimp can under can pick up a, a stick and use it as a tool or a rock but they don't and they, they can maybe understand that a rock has sharpness but they can't really distill you know that quality of sharpness as an abstract thing to then develop and shape and create technology on i mean these these relationships got us to this fucking place and that's just so silly of us and so in line with the relationship that this control apparatus of the capitalist ethos and state and consciousness and dream has over humanity that it is taking the fucking medicine that we have the abundance producing capacities of nature you know, the ability for us to create energy out of the fucking forces of nature, the ability for us to just grow food and give it to people, the ability for us to not destroy our environment, it won't allow these things. It uses the law to keep us in this structure. It creates these corporations that have like first pick at the buffet of everything that we, we don't even have a fucking – we don't have guaranteed a single bite where they have as soon as you know the law is passed that this is legal and that you can do this thing you can you know access and sell this substance they get first pick and they're the ones writing the fucking legislation that that is going to determine what the law is what is allowed and what isn't and it's always going to be in their benefit this is our whole legal system this is our whole social fucking dream and hallucination that these corporate entities write our laws they decide what we get they decide and they always get it first and our whole catastrophe our whole crazy fucking stupid crisis is happening because we have solutions we have answers we have alternatives all these things we're using that are bad for us like like fucking fossil fuels and like the petrochemical fertilizers and all these things that are fucking killing the planet that we know are killing the planet that scientists are like setting themselves on fire saying stop doing this we don't have to live this way these corporations are saying no i'm not going to relinquish my control Oh, there may be abundant energy solutions out there, but I must control them. And so when things like, you know, entities like the Biden administration pass their climate bill, it's not really a bill to push us toward changing our system. It's saying, okay, we will push forward with, you know, renewable energies, EVs, a few other technologies, and, and we're going to give the fucking reins to these companies that are making money off of it. Sorry, that was a long tangent, but I'm <laughs> – Blame it
2: on the wheel.
1: If okay. I may just really quickly before we turn it over to Larry. <laughs> Rick is singing your praises of him. Okay, Rick, like and that Wanted that-
2: me to give you some some <laughs> thumbs up. There's the thumbs up. <laughs> Wait a minute. If I smoke drugs, I'm going to
1: start- That means he likes you. And
0: getting silly and weird. And I'm not going to be serious anymore. So, I mean, I'm out of it. I'm out. That's that's just for little kids. That's just for babies.
1: The- the beginning of your tangent made me remember the the, uh, the hashtag and the saying in the movement, basically, housing as a human right. Access to plant medicine should be a human right, uh, as I'm sure we would all here agree. Now, that probably scares a lot of people. But the fact it scares people, therein lies the bigger problem, the fact that we're all so afraid of it. But we've pretty much covered that in today's discussion. And on that note, do you have any closing statements, Larry?
3: Um, I my closing statements is if you want to reach out and get something started in your city to decriminalize, uh, hit us up at decriminalizednature.org or check us out on our Instagram at decriminalizednature. Carlos,
2: yeah, and we like to have fun, so you know, hang out with us. And we have these secret parties that only decrim nature members can be a part of. And you drink, for this we this do all kinds of it? crazy shit <laughs> that you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even believe the stuff we do uh and we keep it totally secret unless you're part of the decrim (laughs) nature club so
1: (laughs) what happens to decrim states that's right (laughs) it's
2: crazy they're
0: actually the uh, cultural hierophants that are are engaging with the sacred tonic that they're drinking out of the blood of of their enemies an ancient an ancient uh, wizard skull they drink out (laughs) of it and uh yeah they're, they're creating a secret society no, no. And, and I'm not, look, I'm not. One of my favorite things I've ever seen on the <laughs> internet is Alex Jones talking about uh, DMT, and he's just terrified. He's like, and, and and I've read these declassified CIA reports, and they say that, that you know you go into this space, you smoke this drug, and it takes sends you into this outer space. And I'm not, I'm not saying I believe this. This is just what they believe. You know and then there's these there's these uh, machine elves that are really controlling everything, and they, they bring things down to the Saurian uh, reptilian shapeshifters that are the politicians that are keeping on right writing our laws. And, uh, uh, look, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just reading this. this is what's on the report?
1: <laughs> that was a really good. Episode. That was good.
2: Here, break like that. <laughs> <Another way. laughs> Sorry, all right, we're at the end of the hour.
1: Well, y- Thank you all oh, so no, much for hanging in there through all that ridiculous <laughs> bullshit with Zyncast. Oh well, God.
0: you know we're uh, we're gonna do this again. You know we're gonna keep hanging out, keep having this conversation. That's gonna be an ongoing uh, feature for our show. I hope A so. Psychedelic. They're not cramble. sick
1: of our BS.
0: But yeah, we lo- love you guys. Appreciate you coming on to the show. Come back anytime.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much.
0: That, that was, was fun. So these episodes were edited uh, for the first time, not by me. Thank you. Holy shit. People reaching out to us and saying we believe in this vision and want to help you and want to go further, it really makes my day. It makes my world because these people are not our workers. We don't have a top-down hierarchical organization. We have a circular, sociocratic, communally-run organization where people come together to make the world that they want to live in, to work together, to share, to help each other through this crazy world. That's Moneyless Society. That's what it is. It's not some hypothetical thing in the future, it's something we're building today. So be like beautiful Nathan and Ev, who clearly enjoy what they're doing and feel motivated and they've thrown their hats in with this movement and everybody that we have on our team has said the same thing to me in some way. Thank you. I'm so glad I'm not alone. I'm so refreshed to find those other people, to find my people. I've never had a tribe in life. I've always been a fucking weirdo on the fringes of civilization, you know, in the margins of society, you know, the weirdo among weirdos. And I found my people here. I feel good with these people. I love them. They're my family, you know? And if you want to get in on the, the feel goods and want to work together with other people that can help you with your ideas and visions and aspirations to create this better world, Join Moneyless Society. And of course, you know, like, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. Uh, Help us grow.